I suppose many of you are like I am. We have uh, choir pieces <clears throat> that are favorites of ours. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they just kind of stay with us. Jesus saves is one of mine. Um, I suppose, David, there are people in choir, there are people who would uh, weary and think, well, the choir is not doing very much work. But as far as I'm concerned, if you want to sing that song every Sunday, have at it. <laughs> Thank you. That's what the church is about, isn't it? That's the message that Jesus saves. And that's what we want to get out. Um, so thank you. Thank you. I know you've got something planned for next Sunday morning, but maybe the Sunday after you can do it again. <laughs> Looking forward to our choir's music next week. Thank God for them and for all their work and for all our musicians. Thank you. Thank you. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to John chapter 20. I have preached on these verses several times. I think once on a Mother's Day, focusing on the two women that are mentioned here, uh, and that was appropriate. Uh, I no doubt, um, maybe 15 years ago, brought a message, several messages from John on the resurrection. Uh, there, there's... Actually, the first 19, 18 verses of John 20, um, I think, deserve a, a particular place in our hearts and in our minds. Um, the two women who are mentioned here, and then it comes down to one. Uh, we don't want to lose sight of the fact that this is in the context of the resurrection. But the great loving heart of a woman comes out clearly, abundantly, strongly, urgently in these verses. Pray with me. Father, speak to our hearts. We say that we love you. And it sounds good to us and to others when they hear it. But Lord, uh, if... This poor preacher is any judge. Our love pales compared to the lady, one of these ladies that we read about on the pages of the Word of God this morning. And I pray that you would move our hearts, our lives, our minds, our souls, and our, all of our beings to love you more because of this woman. Thank you that her love shows in the context of the resurrection. The tomb is empty when we come to this passage of Scripture. It couldn't hold the Savior. And it couldn't contain the story of the loving heart of a great woman. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Since ever there were women's hearts in this world, were there ever two women's hearts with such emotions in them as when Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene stood together beside his cross? Did you ever try to put your 
self into his mother's heart on that day or into the heart of Mary Magdalene. They stood and wept as never another two women have wept since women in this world wept till John, at Jesus' command, took his mother away from Calvary and led her into the city. But Mary Magdalene still stood by the cross. He dismissed his mother, but Mary Magdalene would not be dismissed. All his disciples had forsaken him and fled. When he bowed his head, she saw him do it. She heard him say, it is finished. It was not a place for a woman. But Mary Magdalene was not a woman. She was an angel. So wrote the great Scottish preacher, Alexander White. What was there about the life of Mary Magdalene that would elicit such praise from the pen of this esteemed Scottish author? Let's think about what we know about her life. And again, keeping it all in the context of the resurrection, as we shall see. Dr. Luke tells us that Mary had been the object of Christ's special grace. Do you remember what he said? That Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. The Bible also tells us that Mary Magdalene was one of a group of women who contributed out of their own substance to the support of Jesus and the twelve. We know, too, that Mary was one of a group of women who had been in Jerusalem at the time of the crucifixion. Matthew, Mark, and then John all tell us that she was an eyewitness to the crucifixion. In fact, she was one of the last to leave the scene of the crucifixion and one of the first at the tomb. Why did Mary do these things? Why did she feel the way she felt? Well, I'm sure that most of you know the answer to that question. Summed up, I think, in two words, love and devotion. The Bible says those who have been forgiven little, love little. Mary had been forgiven much. And she loved accordingly. Our text this morning is a lot of the 18 verses that open John 20. But in particular, I want to focus on 11 through 18. I will refer to it. We'll get started with the other passages, the verses that come before that. But that's the focus in verses 11 and following. The first thing we observe in verses 11 through 13 is something about the circumstances uh, that let's, let's try to piece some things together this morning. Uh, John 20, verse 11, But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Now, let me see if we can put together some of this. 
Look at verse 1 of John 20. Verse 1 of John 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, came early to the tomb, and while it was still dark, she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. But you notice uh, there's a time factor here, and that's worthy of note. Verse 1 says, on the first day of the week. Now, if you will drop down to verse 19, the same chapter. <clears throat> when therefore it was evening on that day. What day? The first day of the week. So we conclude that everything that comes from verse 1 down to uh, verse 19 took place on the first day of the week, early in the morning or early in the day. Uh, there's no indication of any other time change there. Mary Magdalene and at least three other women had come to the tomb to complete the anointing of our Lord's body. And when they arrived, they found that the, the stone had been rolled away, an angel seated on the stone. You remember the words uh, recorded in Matthew for us. The angel greeted them by saying, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. So the women returned to the city to inform the disciples. And John, in his gospel, singles out Mary Magdalene in chapter 20, verse 2, and says that she went to Peter and John. Chapter 20, verse 2. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. John singles out Mary Magdalene. These two women, excuse me, these two men running ahead of Mary went to the tomb, and they concluded their investigation and headed back home, convinced of the resurrection. If you'll look at verse 10 of this chapter. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But if you'd back up just two more verses to verse 8, they believed. Last words in verse 8, they saw and believed, and then they went home. So they got the message, and running ahead, of the women, any of the women, they got there and they made their investigation and then they left and went home. Mary got back to the tomb. <clears throat> They'd gone. She knew nothing about their belief in the resurrection. And as she stood before the tomb, grief overwhelmed her and she began to weep. Verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she went, she stopped and looked into the tomb. She felt a deep, deep sense of personal loss at the death of Jesus. Something, frankly, I don't think the, the, the other disciples felt. With her, there was a great, deep chasm of loss at the death of Jesus. Her whole life was wrapped up in him. And now, her bereavement was compounded by the fact that 
Even the body had disappeared. She had lost all contact with Jesus. I wonder if we could identify with the strain that this dear woman was feeling. Try to put yourself in her place for just a moment or two. She had seen the person that she loved most in this world taken and brutally executed. She had planned to perform some last rites on his body, but now those plans had been frustrated. She had been going back and forth from town to the tomb, town to the tomb, in semi-darkness for what I think to her must have seemed like hours. But now she was alone at the grave, totally deserted, and it was beyond her emotional capacity. Her eyes filled with tears. She looks into the tomb. And what does she see? A sepulcher filled with angels. And the angels, I believe, ask a very sympathetic question to her. Verse 13, they say, Woman, why are you weeping? And you know, that is in harmony what the angels were doing in asking that question and their sympathy toward her. What the angels were doing is in keeping with what the book of Hebrews teaches us about angels. It says that they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation. That's what these angels were doing. And that's part of what they do. Woman, why are you weeping? Just in passing, it's kind of interesting to note that even the angels are perplexed and puzzled by women's tears. What man is there among us who hadn't had that experience? Men, one thing we can say is we're in good company. The angels wanted to know why also. And I believe Mary responds in a very dejected way. Look at verse 13. They ask, why are you weeping? She said, because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they've laid him. It's ironic to me if you just stop for a moment and consider this passage of Scripture and consider these verses. She's weeping because the tomb's empty. There would have been great cause for weeping for all of time and eternity had she found what she was looking for. Of all the things that should have given this woman joy, it was the fact that the tomb was empty. But she's weeping. Do you know what her difficulty was at this point? She's looking at this whole scene, this whole matter from the human side rather than the divine side. She was not thinking of what was gained by the resurrection, but of what she lost. Her thoughts were all together at this point. Her thoughts were all together of herself. Would you look at verse 13 again? They have taken away, next word, my Lord. And next word, I do not know where they have laid him. My and I. She was looking at it from a human standpoint. She was looking at it from her standpoint, which I completely understand. Don't you? 
I don't mean to denigrate her at all by this. A great woman indeed. But at this particular point, she was focused on the human side of things. You know, tucked away in the book of Proverbs, there's a statement that says, comes from the pen of Solomon, I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. And that's come, that comes true right now in Mary's life. She loved him. She diligently was seeking him. And the Bible says, those who diligently seek me will find me. And that comes true in the life of Mary and her experience in verses 14, 15, 16. The appearance of Jesus. Look at verse 14. When she had said this, she turned around and behold, Jesus was standing there. But don't miss the last part of the verse, verse 14. And she did not know that it was Jesus. Ever ponder those words? When she said that she turned around. Why did she turn around? Did you ever think about that? You know, the Bible doesn't tell us. It just says she turned around. I want to know why. You know, I, I, just in passing, uh, when you, when you do your Bible study, ask questions of the Bible. Sometimes you'll find answers. Not always, but sometimes you'll find answers. In this case, we don't find an answer. But one of the church fathers, a man by the name of John Chrysostom, way back in the 4th century, has given us what I think is a beautiful, beautiful suggestion. He says, as the Lord appeared, the angels did obeisance, and Mary turned to see to whom they were bowing. Now, the Bible doesn't say that, but may I say to you, that makes perfect sense to this fallen mind. <laughs> the angels did obeisance. She thought it was a gardener, we'll see. They knew better. And when he's there, the angels did obeisance. They bowed. She turned because she wanted to see the person to whom the angels were bowing. Makes good sense to me. Mary looked, and as I said a while ago, she thought it was a gardener. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing uh, him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. You know, it makes sense, again, if you, if you stop and think about it. Joseph was a wealthy man. He had a garden, and he had a tomb in his garden that had been hewn out, no doubt at great cost. And so, therefore, it seems rather natural to me to think that Mary would have, might have thought, this is the gardener. This is the gardener. Apparently, Mary was thinking that the body of Jesus was being moved from one place to another, and she wants to know where. And then she indicates her plan to do what would have been physically impossible for her to do. Look at the last phrase, verse 15. I'll take him away. Now, how she planned to do that, we don't know. You see, Mary wasn't thinking about the weight of his body. She wasn't thinking about the spices that had been added in the process of uh, preparing for burial. She wasn't thinking about any of that. She was consumed by her love for him. You'll allow me to quote another preacher. 
Donald Gray Barnhouse, pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for so many years, said, listen to this. Here is one of the greatest character portrayals in all of literature, human or divine. Here is the heart of a good woman. Here is love. Offering to do the impossible as love always does. When Mary had spoken the words of verse 15, I think she turned away from the person that she thought to be the gardener. In her mind at that point, I think she was done with the gardener. But the encounter was not over. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. To me, verse 16, when understood in its context, is one of the most beautiful, beautiful verses in the Gospel of John. One little word transformed deep sorrow that was consuming her at this time. It transformed that deep sorrow into unbridled joy. The risen Lord had called her by her name, Mary. And there must have been something in the way he spoke her name that allowed her to know immediately this is Jesus. Now what happens next in this context might come as a bit of surprise. At this point, what do you think Mary wanted to do? Now, I've tried to hit the high points of the story here, but what do you think this woman wanted to do at this point in time? She wanted to stay right there. She had found Jesus. She knew who he was. He had spoken to her. What do you think she wanted to do? Stop right there and worship him. Perhaps also to ask him to explain all that had taken place. We don't know that, but it doesn't seem at all out of keeping with what we find in the text. But that wasn't to be for Mary. Instead, in the next two verses, she is given a commission. And the commission involves two commands. Look at verse 17. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to your brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Stop clinging to me, I have not yet ascended. Evidently, with just a little bit of what we would trust to be sanctified imagination, when this woman uttered the word Rabbani, apparently she fell down at his feet and perhaps grasped his legs. Mary wished to prolong Jesus' presence in bodily form. But the ascension must take place. The sense to me of the words to Mary, don't cling to me, are, Mary, don't cling to me in a physical sense, 
but when I reach my ascended state, then you may cling to me in a spiritual sense. You see, there was a whole new relationship to be established. It would not be based on the physical, but it would be based on spiritual. So the first command is in, in the commission is negative. Stop clinging to me. The second command is positive. Verse 17. Go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. Mary is to go. There's a job to be done. She had already been a messenger of the empty tomb. Now she is to be a messenger of the resurrection and the ascension. When the resurrection took place, the disciples could look at the cross and realize this is not a defeat. This is a victory. Now the purpose of the resurrection is seen in the ascension. It is that he takes his place as the lamb upon his throne. That's what the ascension was all about. He ascended as the lamb of God to take his place on the throne. You remember the, I think it's a great hymn of the church, crown him with many crowns. What's next? The lamb upon his throne. And there he carries out his high priestly work for all who belong to him. Mary got the message. Verse 18. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I don't know. I read those words. I've read them a number of times. They just seem, uh, in a moment, they seem to just, just sit there on the page. But the more you read them, the more they just jump off the page. I would love to have heard her say, look at those words. It doesn't seem like much. I have seen the Lord. I can't help but think she just, um, there, was a, there, there was a lot of inflection in, in her voice. I don't think she went to the disciples and said, I've seen the Lord. I believe almost at the top of her lungs. I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. She got the message. Several things stand out about this whole scene, and and in particular with the life of this woman. She was devoted to the Lord. And I believe she loved him for who he was, not for what he could do for her. And folks, there's a difference. I think she loved him for who he was, not for what he could do for her. There's an ancient story, and it's no more than that. It's certainly not inspired, but nonetheless perhaps helpful. There's a story about a man who one day saw a woman who was carrying in one hand a basin of water, and in the other hand she had a torch. The man went to her and said, what do you mean to do with these? She replied, I'm going to put out the flames of hell with the water, and with the torch, I'm going to burn up the glories of heaven. The man said, why are you going to do that? And her reply was, that men may love God for what he is in himself, and not for what they escape or what they receive. I want that kind of faith. Now that's a parable. 
Okay? Nothing inspired about it. But I like the story. To love Jesus for who he is, not that we escape the flames of perdition, not that we have the glories of heaven, just to love Jesus for who he is. Mary was like that. Again, I say, I think she was devoted to him, not for what he could do for her, but just because of who he was. I wonder, Christian people, do we love Jesus like that? Not for what I can get. Not for what he's delivered me from. Not for uh, a home in heaven. I just love him for who he is. Second thing about Mary that just seems to me to be so important. Her devotion was deep, but her faith still needed Maturing, As Mary was clinging to the physical presence of the Lord Jesus, he was saying to her, there's a job to be done, Mary. You go and you tell. And as a result of the resurrection, Mary did. She dried her tears and got busy being a missionary. That's one reason this is Missions Month, and I, I, that's another reason I came to this text. She was devoted to him for who he was. But her faith needed maturing. And Jesus told her to go. And she did. I wonder, may I ask you? Do you love Jesus for who he is? Thank you, brother. Or do some of us love him for what we can get? what he's done for us. That's fine to love him for that, but is that the primary reason? I still say I want to and I want you to love him for who he is. Period. You know what? I don't believe that we can love him unless we know him personally. Can you love somebody you've never known? Not really. You have to know Him before you can love Him. So my question resolves itself into another question that is, do you know Him? Do you know Him? He bids you to come to Him and receive salvation, to be forgiven for your sins, to have a home in heaven, to have a debt of, uh, a burden of guilt taken from you. I've met people who've said to me, I don't feel guilty about anything. And may I say to you, uh, please pardon, uh, maybe a pastor shouldn't say this, but I don't think they were telling the truth. I don't think they were telling the truth. He takes our guilt upon himself. Have you trusted him as Savior? Second question, this one I close. <clears throat> This is missions week and this is Easter week. I wonder if we will accept his commission to Mary as our own. And may I say, at times, 
I'm in contexts where um, this receiving the commission is reserved for men. Well, it's for men. But to whom was this given? A woman with a great heart who loved the Lord. Go. Go. Don't leave it to your husband. Don't leave it to Laban's fellowship. Don't leave it to the preacher. Don't leave it to the deacons. Go, Mary, go. Folks, we're going to celebrate this week an empty tomb. We should celebrate that 52 weeks a year. And I believe we do. So just let me say, the tomb's empty, folks. The tomb is empty. And this is one of, if not the greatest evidence for the fact there's one God. You can find the tomb where all of the others are buried. And not a one of them has come forth. Not a one of them. Is Christianity exclusive? Yes. Why? Because there's only one God who came out of the tomb. Muhammad's dead. Buried. You're here. One God to love Him supremely and to take Mary's commission as our own. I want to love the way Mary did. And I want to take His commission the way Mary did. And I want that desperately for Wake Chapel Church. Pray with me. Lord, these are familiar verses. There's not anything that I've said this morning that has been new. But I pray that the Spirit of God would massage these things into our hearts and help us to come to a place where we love Jesus because He's Jesus and help us to come to a place as did Mary to take His commission and go. I pray, Father, that you would make this so in Wake Chapel Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn this morning is Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will then joy and comfort give you. Take it then where'er you go. Number 116 in your hymnal. It may be that there's somebody here who hadn't yet come to trust Jesus as Savior. You can do that right where you sit. You don't have to walk an aisle. If you would like to make a public profession, you may do that. I'll meet you here. But you can trust Jesus Christ right where you're sitting. Nothing magical about it. Very simple. Lord, right now, I'm trusting you as my personal Savior. Thank you. I receive Jesus. You can do that right where you sit. Somebody in this place, I believe, needs to do that. I don't know who it is. You know your heart. You know your life. And Jesus does. And it's between the two of you. I urge you to trust Him today. And then for 
all who are members of Wake Chapel Church, all who name the name of Christ. If you're not a member of Wake Chapel Church, that's fine. All who name the name of Christ, take the name of Jesus and share it. Jesus saves. Best is our deacon today. Joy's going to come and lead us in prayer. Greet somebody. Tell them you love them before you leave. Men, I'm talking to you too. I'm not just your wife. Sometimes men find it hard to say I love you. Shame on us. I love you, David Spivey. <laughs> Tell somebody that you love them before you leave. And let's together take Mary's commission as our own. Go. Joy? Let us pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, God, we welcome you in this place today, God. Lord, we invite you into our homes and in our hearts this week, God. Lord, we, uh, we just thank you so much for the precious gifts that you've given this, this church body, God. Lord, we lift up those amongst us that are sick and ailing and have, uh, have things that, that only you know the path that they need to take, God. We lift those people up to you today, Lord. Lord, we lift up Randy and Rose Sieg as our mission of the week through Transworld Radio. God, we pray for these sweet and humble people as they further your kingdom and uh, through this mission, Lord. We, we thank you for them and for their, their, uh, their love and kindness and generosity, God. Lord, we thank you for the week ahead of us, Lord, and we pray that you will help us to celebrate and not be sad and help us to celebrate an empty tomb and a risen, risen king, God. Lord, you yourself said, peace be with you. And uh, we just pray that that peace will be with us through this week as we celebrate your resurrection and your life and the gift that comes through those times, God. Lord, be with us as we go away from here today. Bring us back safely and guide us and keep us and hold us tightly, God. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we bring, bring these things to you through Christ's holy name. Amen. Thank you.